It's 12.07. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, let me explain to you how we're going to handle this breaking news story. We will continue to keep you posted of all updates. We're not going to go wall-to-wall on this because at least at this point in time, there's really nothing new to report. Once we get some confirmed information, we will, of course, bring it to you. But I will say this. Having done this for 20-plus years, some of, the, some of the shows that I go back and I think about that I'm not the happiest with are ones where you, you have the, these breaking news situations and stuff ends up getting reported that turns out not to be accurate. And, and I just you always hate that because they're, I mean, again, it, it's what we call the fog of war. You have a lot of stuff that's going on and people are uh, running around, they're getting information, and sometimes the information is incomplete, sometimes the information is just flat out wrong. So once we know more about what is happening in Madison, we will bring you, keep you up to date on all the different developments. If you are just tuning in, about 10.30 this morning, there was a call to a 911 communication center um, in, in Middleton, which is just a little bit to the west of Madison uh, saying that there was an active shooting situation at Esker Software, which is on a Deming Way in Middleton. Um, Esker is a French software company with U.S. headquarters in Middleton. Um, and then so far, we, we've heard nothing other than a- active shooting situation. There are reports of a couple ambulances, you know, leaving the scene and heading to UW Hospital. But beyond that, we really don't know anything else. And once we get more details, we will bring that to you, I promise. So keep it tuned to News Radio 620 WTMJ. But we're not going to spend an hour speculating on what might have happened until we we have some, some real hard information about what the occurrence was. So stick with us for that. As we do for the first couple segments of every program, um, when we start the program, we broadcast, uh, we live stream. It's facebook.com slash 620 WTMJ. I am wearing my Brewers colors. The magic number is eight um, to qualify for the playoffs. I was at the ball game last night. Kind of a tough game. It was one of those where it was just that the team was kind of lifeless. And I remember turning to my friend and I said, you know, after the second inning and they were behind two to one, I said, this just game just has this kind of feeling about where, it did, nothing exciting is going to happen. The team didn't seem into it. The fans didn't seem into it because the team wasn't doing anything. I don't think they got a runner past second base after they scored the run, one run in the second inning. It was just, it was, it was a downer of a game and they lost ground to the Cubs. They lost ground to the Cardinals, but they're still in pretty good shape. So, um, you know, go Brewers. It is continues to be the hunt for brew October, but you can. You can watch the radio show being done, facebook.com slash 620 WTMJ. All right, let us get started. Yesterday, during the program, the New Marquette University Law School poll came out, and if you believe the poll, it had bad news in it for Governor Scott Walker. Now, I say this about these polls. One of the things that we have learned over the last, I don't know, three to four election cycles is – Pollsters have a lot of trouble getting it right, and yet everybody in the media tends to, despite the fact that these pollsters are wrong all the time or a lot of the time, we we still tend to think of these things as being gospel. The Marquette University Law School poll, and I always say this before numbers come out, whether it's numbers that I believe or numbers that I don't believe, I, I always point out that this is a poll that used to kind of be the gold standard, and then they started getting it wrong a lot as well. So the truth is, if you believe the Marquette University Law School poll numbers, 
Hillary Clinton would have won Wisconsin and would have been the president of the United States. If you believed the numbers, Ron Johnson would not have beaten Russ Feingold eight years ago and would not have beaten Russ Feingold two years ago. So those are just a couple high-profile examples where this particular poll just missed the boat badly. Now, that doesn't mean that they're not going to get it right. That doesn't mean that these numbers aren't, in fact, accurate. I just say this. I think you have to take stuff with a huge grain of salt. But in any event, the Marquette poll yesterday showed Tony Evers leading Scott Walker by five points, 49% to 44%. That was a, a significant change, a five-point change since the most recent, the, the previous poll that had him tied at 46. Now, one of the problems, I think, off the surface of this poll is it seems to me to have overrepresented Democrats. But nevertheless, it suggests that Scott Walker is in real trouble, five points behind. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let me be real clear here. I don't believe these numbers. I I, I just don't. I, I don't think they are accurate. Governor Walker, I think, has done a really, really good job. Now, I understand that there are people who are upset with Governor Walker, and that's always been the case. Public employees got mad after the Act 10 debate, and, you know, Walker's, his top, his cap, has always been about 52, 53, maybe 54% of the vote. You can put a generic candidate, a generic Democratic candidate up against Walker, and that person will, will start off with 46% of the vote. To me, Tony Evers is nothing but that generic Democratic candidate. So let's open up the phone lines. The economy is humming along. Unemployment, we are almost at full employment in Wisconsin. You've got property taxes and the tax climate in general, which is at an all-time low. People should feel extremely confident about their jobs. So my question is this. Is there any reason to change course? Is Governor Walker in trouble? 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Gru is lining up the calls. Before we go to break, Eric Bilstadt, do we have an update? Yeah, a couple of things. We know the all-clear has been given for all the schools in Middleton right now. They had been on lockdown. Some of the areas... 1217, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, here's a text. Unfortunately, Governor Walker is in trouble. He shouldn't be in trouble, though. The problem nowadays is that politics have no rational thoughts. People can't see how successful we are, but they are so driven by emotions that they can't think rationally. Well, I, I will say this. The, the, this, this poll found, the poll voters saying, we don't think Foxconn is a good deal. That is not a rational reaction. That That's one of the most incredible things. Foxconn is going to be such an incredibly positive thing for the state of Wisconsin that anybody that's out there thinking, well, I don't think we should be doing this, is just not thinking rationally. They've got their I hate Scott Walker hats on, and if it were Jim Doyle that did it or any other Democratic candidate, they would be turning backflips. But because it's Walker, we're we're turning up our nose to 13,000 jobs in the southeastern part of the state and a new research facility at UW-Madison and facilities in uh, La Crosse or Eau Claire and Green Bay and all over the state. I mean, it's just there is almost this crazy, irrational disconnect between reality and what some people are thinking 414-799-1620 todd in greenfield todd good afternoon good afternoon jeff thanks for taking my call. sure what do you think is walker in trouble absolutely not um i'm just asking you if i could sure what what is the what is the purpose of 
polls other than what it seems now that they are to influence an election. Because look what happened with the Trump election. Mm-hmm. It well, was all in favor of Hillary. And then look, the, the American people spoke because it's balanced. You're getting everybody voting. Mm-hmm. Why do they have Marquette as the place for polls? Well, I, I mean, they, they have Marquette as the place for polls because Marquette Law School underwrites the poll and, and they put it out. So, sure. and, and they do it because they want to get attention for themselves. I mean, it, it, it's, it's kind of like, all right, so why does the Wall Street Journal, NBC News do their poll? It's because they want to generate news stories. They want to report on the poll. So that's, that's what they do. So they do become kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. I mean, that's their, and, and of course, then the pollsters will tell you they don't care if they're right or wrong because if they're wrong, they say, well, it was just a snapshot in time. Um, but you're right. They do become, it, it almost becomes like a self-fulfilling prophecy. No question but, about it. But sure, isn't the market primarily democratic and liberal if you were to classify it? Well, no, I don't know. Thanks. So. No, I don't, I don't think it's, it's, I don't think it's that, but I mean, why does Marquette University Law School, my alma mater, why do they do a poll? Because it, it generates attention, which helps them in fundraising, and they get their name in the news, and they get all this attention on their their, their poll and their university. It's sort of a marketing tool in a way. Same as, again, when CNN does its poll, they get to report it. And so this is the CNN poll, so you, you get that, that attention for it. Um, I, I will tell you this, and I've been cautioning people on this for, for decades. When, when you see these public polls, you need to be really careful about them because the, the public polls, they're just trying to get the headline. That, that's it. The, the private polls of the candidates are what you pay attention to because they're really asking the questions and trying to make sure they have the balance because they have to make decisions based on the numbers that they have. These other polls, but I, I think it's a problem with polling in general, but I, I don't see anything, to be, to be honest with you, I don't see anything over the last three or four weeks which would have caused this dramatic a swing, except for the fact that it looks to me that this Marquette University Law School survey is, is skewed for, for Democrats. Is Walker in a close race? I, I don't think there's any question. Walker is always in close races. Does that mean that he's going to lose the election? Does that mean that he's five points behind? Well, I take that with a huge, huge grain of salt. And again, like I say, if you believe these polls as being gospel, Ron Johnson wouldn't have won either in 2010 or in 2016. Let's talk to Jake in Waukesha. Jake, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jake. Um, my, my theory in the poll is I think Walker's probably behind a point or two. Uh-huh. Um, I think he's got to make up some ground. My problem with the poll is this. Um, I don't, more people said they're going to vote for Tammy Baldwin and vote for Tony Evers. I don't think people in Wisconsin split their ticket. Mm-hmm. And so I think that number skews it right there, that poll numbers are pretty much the same for uh, the Baldwin and Putin race and the Democratic governor's race. I believe it more. Mm-hmm. I also think that I also think that the real problem is the enthusiasm gap with Republicans. That's the major issue. And I think it's being driven by young people, you know, a 24-year-old voter, who was 16 when Scott Walker was elected, right. you realize how bad a shape the state was in when he took over. Right, right. Who doesn't who doesn't appreciate, for example, what has happened over the last year, eight years, with regard to, to taxes? Who, who hasn't lived in this state when this really was this tax hell? And so now the thinking is, 
well, okay, maybe it wouldn't be wouldn't maybe it wouldn't be so bad to pay more in taxes for this or that or the other thing. I, and I think you're onto something. I also think, Jake, that there, you know, you mentioned enthusiasm gap, and I think that is a, a real issue that that is out there. Um, you have, for whatever reason, you have the anti-Walker folks, and then you have the anti-Trump resistance movement who want to send a message to all Republicans. They are extremely motivated. And the question is, is the governor's supporters or the governor's supporters, are they going to be equally as motivated after getting him through two elections, actually three elections, including the recall? Right. I think, too, what, it's not just about taxes. I think people need to realize the last time the Democrats were in charge, they raised taxes a billion dollars without any debate, but they also rated the medical malpractice fund, the transportation fund, and the Minnesota tax reciprocity fund, and that's how bad they were. Uh, but these young voters don't see that. They have no institutional memory of that. Well, right, and and no real frame of reference. So so Tony Evers says, I want to put $1.4 billion into the schools. I want to put, you know, billions of dollars into the roads or, or whatever it's going to be without, and everybody says, oh, that, that's, that's great. You know, I got a pothole outside my house. I'd love to have that fixed. Okay, the question then becomes, all right, but, but who's going to be paying for all this stuff? You know, well, how are we going to do this? And nobody ever really thinks that through. Now, thanks for calling. Appreciate it. I mean, no, and that, I mean, Look, I, I think this is going to be a close election. I, I don't think there's any question about it. But I And I do think Republicans in general are running into a headwind, and that is the effect, that is the Trump effect. Look, that's just the reality of this. But the bottom line is, but why would anybody vote for Tony Evers? I mean, I mean seriously, what, what has Tony Evers accomplished that makes you say, oh, I think this guy would be a great chief executive? No, what's out there is it's the anti-Walker vote. And so the question is, how intense is this? I am skeptical of these numbers, although I don't deny that I think it's going to be a, a tough race. What Walker needs to do is Walker needs to get the Scott Walker voters to come home. And, you know, we, we saw that in the Trump race in 2016. He was way behind in all these different polls. But at the end of the day, people came home. The Republican base rallied around him, and they ended up voting for him. And then you had a lot of independent voters who just didn't want to vote for Hillary Clinton. All right, that's going to be the question that's out there. But, you know, is he behind by five points? I, I don't know. The other thing that makes no sense to me at all is Brad Schimmel, Republican, ahead by eight points or seven points over his challenger and Walker behind. I agree with what Jake is saying. You know, in Wisconsin, there's a... There's a little bit of ticket splitting, but not a lot. There, there's some screwy things about this poll, but the bottom line is it is a close race, which is why people end up having to focus on the issues. No question about it. Let's talk to Mark and Mequon. Mark, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. How are you doing today? I'm well, thank you. What do you think? What do I think? I, I'm going to take it in a little bit different tack. You know, uh, Rebecca Clayfish was on one of the shows earlier this week. And she told all the positive things yep. that Governor Walker has done. Just positive after positive, taking the negative ads right in the butt. Um, why can't Walker all of a sudden do, start doing positive advertising to get the independent vote? Mm-hmm. I think that they're going to be swayed by good stuff, not bad stuff. Well, I think they're, I mean, th- I think my answer is I, I think it's both. I mean, the thing is, I think Scott Walker is very, very well defined. I mean, I, everybody 
has an opinion on on Governor Walker after after eight years and multiple elections. I think that's the reality. But what you have to do is two things. I think, number one, I agree with you. You need to stress a lot of the positives. You need to get the message out about how great things really are in Wisconsin nowadays. Why would you jump ship when you've got the economy humming along like this? I mean, why would you buy into that? That's number one. Number two, I, I mean, I do think also because... Tony Evers is is unknown. I mean, people can't tell you who Tony Evers is or what Tony Evers did, did or what he stands for. I mean, he just he just he's out there as the anti Walker figurehead in this particular race. So I do think it's fair to run ads talking about okay, some of the things that he did as a superintendent of schools, or some of the bad things that you believe he would do if he would get elected. But I do think you're right. You need that balance that's out there. Time will tell whether this turns out right or not. At least in the governor's race, though, if you think Tony Evers is really ahead by five points, well, that's fine. But my advice would be, Mr. Evers, I wouldn't recommend you start measuring the drapes in the executive residence quite yet. All right, back with more in just a couple minutes and an update from what's going on in Middleton. Stick around. It's 1228. We've been live streaming Facebook.com slash 620 WTMJ. You can also watch that at your leisure. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1236, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, a new Marquette University Law School poll is out. How are the candidates reacting to it? Scott Warris and Melissa Barkley tackle the politics behind the numbers. 450 this afternoon on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Again, we'll continue to keep you updated upon the shooting situation in Middleton. Here's, as details begin to emerge, it appears to have been a workplace shooting situation. The early reports are somebody that worked at this Esker Software uh, began shooting um, sometime around 10 to 10.30 this morning. Four people injured, no no one fatally, at least those are the reports thus far, and that's really pretty much all we know at this point in time. We'll continue to bring you new information as it arrives. All right. Um, if If this isn't a mess, it'll do till a real mess gets here. Brett Kavanaugh, was on his way to sailing towards confirmation as an associate justice on the U.S. Supreme Court. He would have, before the developments of the last few days, he would have had all 51 Republican votes and probably a handful of other Democrat votes, um, Democratic senators who represent states that Donald Trump carried big time and who are up for re-election um, in November. So he, he was going to be confirmed. Democrats did everything they could to try to block this. It's really not about is Brett Kavanaugh qualified to be a judge, a justice on the Supreme Court. It's more like this is the resistance. You have a rabid left in America that hates Donald Trump and hates anything that Trump would do. And so what you have to do is they feel compelled to try to thwart any initiative that Donald Trump takes. That was not going to work when it came to Kavanaugh. Until you have uh, Dianne Feinstein, the very liberal senator from California, who apparently gets a letter in July from somebody who wants to remain anonymous, saying that there was this encounter with Brett Kavanaugh when he was in high school and the girl was in high school, but the person doesn't want to come forward. And then, okay, over the weekend, 
The person then changes their mind, identifies themselves, and through an attorney comes forward and says, well, I was 15, he was 17 or 18, we were at this party, I don't remember where the party was, I don't remember who was there, but he and his buddy grabbed me and threw me on a bed and put their hand over my mouth, and I struggled, I got away, and I didn't tell anybody until 2012, 30-some years later, when I was in a couples therapy session, and this all kind of came back to me. All right, so based on that, now everybody says we've, we've got to put this stuff on hold. And, and by the way, I was one of these people who said, "All right, given I, I don't know where I don't know where you're going to get." Judge Kavanaugh has said this did not happen. Uh, the the guy that was identified in being in this room, he has said this did not happen. The woman hasn't made any statements under oath, only through her attorney. But I, you're never. The reality is, you're never going to get to the bottom of, of this. And it is kind of scary in a way that somebody can come up with, you know, allegations from 30 plus years ago and essentially ruin somebody's life. Cause that, that is what's happened here as a result of this. There's nowhere that Brett Kavanaugh is going to go to get his reputation back. One of the reasons I tend to disbelieve this is the fact that as a general rule, when you have allegations like this, it's not a one off. When somebody comes forward and says, Harvey Weinstein, you know, grabbed me and had this counting couch, casting couch stuff, there's normally all sorts of other women who had the same experience. And there were. When somebody comes forward and says, Bill caused me, you know, drugged me and had sex with me, all right, that's typically not a one-off. There tends to be lots and lots of women out there who say the same thing. And, in fact, there were. So the, the pattern repeats itself over and over again. In Brett Kavanaugh's life, there's nobody who says this guy did anything close to that. Nobody. Plus you have, you know, tens, dozens and dozens of women are coming forward saying, we knew him in high school. This isn't the way the guy behaved, that stuff. But it doesn't matter because the people that hate Trump and want to keep Kavanaugh off the court, they will believe what they want to believe. So anyhow, I I agreed with Ron Johnson, whose position was, all right, this is this allegation that's out there. You, you You have to give the witness if she wants to come forward and testify like she said she would, at least initially through her attorney, you have to give her an opportunity. And if you want to bring Brett Kavanaugh in again and ask him under oath to deny this, that is fine as well. So they set aside Monday to invite the woman in and to invite Judge Kavanaugh in and let them tell their stories. Now, I don't know where it's going to get you because, like I say, you're, it, it's so long ago, you're never going to be able to prove this or disprove it. it it's just the reality. You can investigate this till the cows come home, and and you're never going to get anywhere. What are, what are you going to do? She's got an unspecified date and an unspecified month. How, how does the FBI go out and say, all right, 35, 37 years ago, was there a party at some unspecified house in Montgomery County, Maryland? Uh, I don't know. I mean, it's you, you'll never, ever, ever get to the bottom of it. It's too old to, to even bother with. But that's fine. Let's let's hear from the accuser. Let's hear from Judge Kavanaugh, and then you, you I guess you you kind of move on. He's been forever tainted as a result of this, but it, it is what it is. That's politics in today's day and age. So they say, all right, we're going to have a hearing on Monday. Now the attorney for the woman says, well, wait a second, wait wait a sec. She's 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 not interested in testifying on Monday. She demands that there be a full FBI investigation. And then maybe after that FBI investigation, well, then then maybe she'll testify. But but she's not going to appear. She's not going to say anything under oath 
until there's a full FBI investigation. Now, what is the effect of this? This is the effort to run out the clock because the hope is we can stall Brett Kavanaugh's nomination. We can, all right, if we have to have a full FBI investigation, what will that take, a week, a month? What is a full investigation? All right, let's try to delay this and delay this and delay this, and maybe, you know, we can have a change in the Senate in the midterms, whatever. This is nothing but a delaying tactic. All right, 414-799-1620. Here's what I think needs to happen. All right, they've said we're going to have added hearings on Monday. I think the question is, if this woman wants to come in, get under oath, and tell her story, we will give you an opportunity to do that, period. If she's not willing to do that, if she's not willing to come, sit under oath, tell her story, to me, that is the end of this, at least as far as the Kavanaugh confirmation hearings go. At that point in time, it's the time for the committee to vote and to send this on to the Senate. If she wants to publicly accuse him under oath of doing this, she should show up on Monday and tell her story and then go from there. 414-799-1620. But you know what? I don't think Judge Kavanaugh should even be required to testify again and tell this woman unless and until she is willing to come and tell her story under oath. That is the starting point for all of this, in my opinion. And to delay this for days or weeks or months while the FBI chases its tail, trying to, I don't know, determine whether there was some high school party 35 years ago, I think is nothing but a political delaying tactic. If she wants her hearing, show up on Monday, testify, otherwise, time to move on. 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. But I don't think Judge Kavanaugh has any obligation to go in and testify and deny stuff, although he's been very clear in his denials. But I don't think he has to go in and answer questions about this. If she's willing to come forward and, and make her accusations and sit there under oath, that is the starting point. But this process should not be delayed past Monday. 414-799-1620. What do you think? We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. If you want to join us, 414-799-1620, the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It's 1244. This is Jeff Wagner. 1248, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Here's a text from Kevin. This seems all along to be about delaying everything, not about finding answers. Dr. Ford is calling for the FBI to investigate when that is something that they wouldn't do in this case. Her lawyer said she wanted to testify, but she won't appear on Monday. Right now, schedule the hearing on Monday, and then if she doesn't show, schedule the vote and move on. I agree completely. If she wants to come in and tell her story under oath, okay, come in, tell the story under oath. Otherwise, all right seems to me you end the inquiry there. Here's another one. Jeff, I completely agree with you. The fact that this lady won't come in and testify under oath tells us everything we need to know. Her voice has no credibility. Well, I, I don't know about that one way or the other, but, you know, here's, here's you know, that you, you cannot just delay things because you have somebody says, oh, 40 years ago, somebody did this to me. Mark text. I think the unspoken part of this is they are hoping for an FBI investigation that due to Severe lack of information comes back inconclusive quickly so they can use that as a point of how and when you investigate Trump. Huh, interestingly, 414-799-1620, Rich in Hales Corners. Rich, you're on WTMJ. How you doing? Well, I'm think I'm well, thank you. She wants to testify. She shows up Monday. Otherwise, move on. That's my point. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's ridiculous. I mean, anybody can make any accusations that she doesn't come in. And just because someone else comes in, where's the proof? 
Where, well, where is the proof? I mean, how do you know that that person isn't isn't lying for? Or, or 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 who knows or or just or misremembering or I mean this is something okay no nobody knows about this for thirty some years and then it comes up in a it, it comes up in a in a couples therapy session you know in two thousand twelve and may, maybe she even thinks she's telling the truth but you know she she's it just it's something that she's convinced herself of but but the starting point is if she wants to tell her story tell her story under oath but this well no I'm not going to do it till the FBI fully and completely investigates what is there to investigate until she makes her statement under oath. Right. And then, um, it, it, and if she doesn't do it, what's the repercussions for her for making these accusations? There's nothing going to happen to her. Oh, they're, they're right. Thanks. No, I mean, thanks for going out. There, there, there's no repercussions. Now, the, the story that's already out there is since her name was public, you know, she's received all this criticism and she's receiving threats. And you can't, that, that's terrible. People should not do that. But, I mean, this... This is what happens if you want to decide that you're going to, out of the clear blue, come out and make these type of allegations and essentially destroy Brett Kavanaugh's reputation, because that is what's happened. I mean, that's the reality. Anita Hill, who is, of course, viewed as this feminist icon, Anita Hill is pretty much the only person who ever said Clarence Thomas behaved in an inappropriate fashion, and yet that has been something that he has been saddled with for his entire career as a jurist because he was a conservative, and particularly because he was a black conservative, and that really upset the liberals. And and this is the latest example of this. I mean, like I say, if Brett Kavanaugh had a history of assaulting or you know, the irresponsible behavior towards women, you would have a whole bunch of women out there who were telling that story, and there aren't any. Let's talk to Violet in Milwaukee. Violet, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. How are you? I'm well, thank What do you think, Violet? Well, I tell you, I'm calling only in regard to her memory because it happened to me when I was five. I am 83, and I can tell you exactly where... I can tell you where I, what I was wearing. I can tell you what he wanted from me. I can tell you all of it. None of it's left me. Mm-hmm. That's a horrible experience. Yeah, I um. Thanks for call, Violet. I mean, look again. I don't. I I don't know how sexual assault victims process stuff. I I will, and I've said this the other day though. I understand why sometimes. If you, if it's, if it's a clergy member, if it's a family member, it's a, if it's a close personal friend, maybe if it's a teacher or something like that, I, I understand this pressure to kind of keep this, this quiet and all, but this isn't, he, he is none of those. He's supposedly, I mean, this, this was one of these like rude, you know, preppy boys. I, I mean, I find it hard to believe that if he really did behave in this fashion, after this happened, she didn't tell somebody, her mother, her father, her girlfriend, somebody. Yeah, you're not going to believe what that Brett and that other guy tried to do to me. What a bunch of creeps. There would have been some sort of con- contemporaneous type of stuff. At least that's what I think. And certainly somewhere along the line, instead, this magically comes out of her memory in 2012. I mean, But again, I, I guess maybe this was that one-off sort of thing. But that's fine. If she wants to press this, she should show up. She should testify, and then you you go from there. And this idea that, well, no, she's not going to show up, and she's not going to testify till after there's a full investigation, that tells me that this is, I mean, obviously there's politics involved, but this is a delaying tactic, you know, pure and simple. And I just don't think people should play by into this. And the reality is the damage is done. I mean, the, the reality is the damage is done. Brett Kavanaugh is always going to, whether he's confirmed or not, he's always going to be viewed as the you know 17 or 18-year-old 
would-be attempted rapist based on this one sort of claim. And uh, whether it happened or not, I, I don't know, but I don't think anybody knows, and nobody will ever know. Harry, downtown. Harry, you're on WTMJ. Hey, um, I think that um, the other side, the progressives, missed the boat, missed the plane, missed the bus, whatever. They missed the transport, the opportunity to bring this all forth. They've gone past the time. The, the transport has taken off. It's time to go on, and let's do the voting. Yeah, one, right, one way or the other. I, I agree. Now, thanks for calling. Here, here's a text. Jeff, I think you've got it right. She should show up, and if she doesn't, then they should hold the vote for the judge. Also, since when do plaintiffs, now she's not really a plaintiff, but when do plaintiffs tell the government what they need to do before they testify? To which I say amen. I mean, yeah, that's, this is, you don't get to make the, these rules. If you have a story to tell, come forward and tell that story. And then maybe, maybe after she testifies, maybe she'll have new sorts of information or something that she'll bring out. And maybe that'll be a justification for delaying a further vote. And maybe it'll warrant more information. But the starting point, shouldn't the starting point be somebody coming forward and saying, this is what happened? Kathy and Brown Deer. Kathy, you're on WTMJ. Yeah. Um, Jeff, I wonder if you were similarly outraged when that uh, Supreme Court vacancy sat empty for over a year because they wouldn't even hold hearings for Merrick Garland. No, it's what's apples and oranges. What's, what's, it's apples no, and oranges. No, it's not. It's what's <laughs> there, no, you got a, you've got a woman trying to ruin this man's reputation by accusing him of being a sexual predator. He has no reason to not, to not come forward when he's going into a position like he is. It's a lifetime so, so have her testify. Why? I'm saying give her a chance to testify. Why wouldn't she testify on Monday? She's telling her story to everybody. Why should? Why is she unwilling to come okay, forward? I, and I'm asking you what the rush is. The, but what, the, what do you mean? What the? Sat, what do you mean? What? what the, the other seat sat vacant for over a year. He's been vetted by the FBI. Well, why is this coming out at the last minute? Well, I, it's it, an effort it, to stall I, the nomination. Someone back in July. But she said she wasn't willing to come forward. Yeah. So Diane Feinstein, she said she at that time she wasn't willing to come forward. Diane Feinstein sits on this letter since July. Why did she sit on the letter? I have no idea. But <laughs> oh, come I, on, I Kathy. Think, you know why she. I don't think there's any reason to not delay it. Well, I, if, if it sat, if it, the other seat sat vacant for a year, there's no reason why this one can't wait until after the midterms. Well, well that, see, that, okay, thank, see, Kathy, that, that's the point. You, you, you don't care about the truth. What you care about is let's just delay this and delay this and delay this to hope to stall the Kavanaugh nomination. The, the Merrick Garland thing, it's apples and oranges. Merrick, Merrick Garland, um, I think, actually, I thought he should have gotten a hearing. He wouldn't have gotten confirmed because Republicans controlled the Senate at the time, and they weren't going to appoint a Barack Obama appointee to that vacancy given the fact that Obama was a lame duck. I actually thought there was a risk in that, because if Hillary Clinton had won, like everybody thought she would, I think that there had been a much more liberal justice that went on to the Supreme Court other than Merrick Garland. But So that was the risk that they played. But that was a political calculation. This, to me, is completely and totally different. Republicans have the White House. Republicans control the Senate. The only question is whether or not Brett Kavanaugh is... I don't know, a, a, a woman, a, a woman abuser, essentially, or would be rapist. And that's why I think she's got to testify. Just stalling this for the sake of stalling it makes no sense to me. It's 1258. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 
It's 109. This is Jeff Wagner. Before we move away from the, the Brett Kavanaugh thing, there, there's an opinion piece in the L.A. Times today written by Jonah Goldberg, who's a conservative columnist, writes for National Review a lot, that as, as I think something that maybe everybody can agree on, maybe we can all agree. The headline is, Congratulations, Senator Feinstein. You've managed to make our politics even uglier. Here's what he writes. There are very few things I'm sure of in the latest and worst chapter in the Brett Kavanaugh confirmation saga. It's like a choose-your-own-adventure book where every chapter ends with a thud at the bottom of an old well or the clanking shut of a dungeon door. What if Christine Blasey Ford is telling the truth? That 35 years ago, a drunken 17-year-old Brett Kavanaugh pushed her down on a bed, covered her mouth in an attempt to sexually assault her. Well, for starters, she'll never get justice. She'll never see a court of law. There is no way to prove it happened, not least because she cannot provide a time or a place where the event allegedly occurred. The most Ford might get is vengeance by thwarting Kavanaugh's dream of getting on the Supreme Court and destroying his reputation. But what if her claim is only subjectively true? What if she felt like Kavanaugh intended her terrible harm, but he had no such intent, simply thinking he was being funny, flirtatious, manly, or some other dumb idea drunk 17-year-old jocks sometimes have? And what if the truth is somewhere in the middle? Do the actions as described tell us an enormous amount about the husband, father, and judge of the last 35 years? The man has been through six background checks. No one has ever unearthed similar incidents, never mind a pattern of them. If anything, the well-documented patterns of his life and career suggest that the Kavanaugh of Ford's memory is not the Kavanaugh he became, or perhaps he ever was. For the last decade or so, there's been a growing argument for going much easier on young men who run afoul of the law because our brains aren't fully developed until our mid-20s. Would it be fair to let this one event, if remotely true, eclipse everything else? On the other hand, if Kavanaugh is lying when he denies all this, that would be bad, too. Moreover, no one is talking about prosecuting Kavanaugh. He has no entitlement to a seat on the highest court in the land. If he did what Ford claims he did, not being a Supreme Court justice is a pretty light sentence. But what if Ford isn't telling the truth? If it's a deliberate lie, the answer is easy. This is one of the worst acts of character assassination and sewer politics in modern American history. And anyone involved should be held to account by the law and voters alike. All one need to do is look under the rock of social media to see countless people insisting that Kavanaugh is a proven rapist or an attempted rapist. If he's, in, if he's innocent, that's horrific. But what if it's not a deliberate lie? What if this is some terrible Rashomon-like confusion? Perhaps the events happened, but Kavanaugh wasn't the person involved. Or perhaps something did happen, but not the way she remembers. Ford never said anything specific about these events until 2012 when she was in couples therapy and Kavanaugh's name was in the news. And the details she offered then detail differ from what she is saying now. I honestly have no idea how to reach a confident conclusion about any of this. There are just way too many missing jigsaw puzzle pieces to make out the picture. All right. So that's what he says. Then here's something maybe we can all agree on. The only thing I am sure of now is that Senator Dianne Feinstein has behaved outrageously because no matter what you choose to believe, she waited too long to reveal the accusation. Feinstein knew about these allegations in July. She made no attempt to ask Kavanaugh about them, even in closed session. If she believed the allegations were true or credible, she should have acted on them. If she didn't, as has been reported, Going public as a desperate ploy to derail or delay his confirmation is an act of grotesque cynicism. 
particularly when she had no idea whether Kavanaugh's accuser would come forward. Feinstein's gambit may pay off. Republicans are understandably wary of cross-examining an alleged victim of sexual assault, particularly ahead of the midterms, given that the GOP is bleeding support among moderate female voters. But the conservative base also remembers the slander of Judge Robert Bork and has no appetite to surrender to such tactics ever again. If the White House or Senate Republicans do surrender, the populist rage from the right will be terrifying. So congratulations, Senator Feinstein. You've done the unimaginable. You've made our politics even uglier. All right, we've got an update on the Middleton situation. Yes, news conference from the Middleton Police Chief. We're working on setting up a meeting place for families, which we've determined to be the Marriott Hotel. It'll be a family reunification location. Um, and we are now actively interviewing a number of witnesses at an undisclosed location. So right now, as you can imagine, we're quite busy. Uh, I know you have a million questions, and so do I, and I don't know those answers. Um, but uh, the main thing we can say right now is the suspect was neutralized, uh, is at a hospital, and that the public is no longer in danger from this incident. Thank you. Back at four. And we'll let you know where uh, that will be. So and that is the Middleton Police Chief says they'll have another update at 4 o'clock. Three people injured in that shooting, including a police officer. That chief told us that a police officer is the one who took down the suspect who did survive that shooting. All lockdowns have been lifted. The scene is cleared. Again, this is in Middleton, an office building there at WTS Paradigm, a workplace shooting today. As of now, no one died from the shooting. However, one person is in critical condition. We'll get you an update at one thirty, and then again, we'll take that news conference at 4 o'clock. It's one fourteen. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. One eighteen. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. If you follow me on Twitter, at, uh, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. And just a couple moments, I'm going to be tweeting out a link to that story, that, that opinion column I just read. Because I, I would hope that may, that is maybe one thing that we should both agree, or everybody should agree on. Regardless of where you are on the Kavanaugh controversy, the way Dianne Feinstein handled this was nothing short of disgraceful. She apparently had this letter in July raising these sort of allegations. If this was a matter that she was genuinely concerned about, she had an opportunity to ask Judge Kavanaugh in closed session. She had a chance to ask Judge Kavanaugh at hearings, and she didn't do any of that. She held this for political purposes and then surfaced this at the last minute in an attempt to derail or delay the nomination. If she was really concerned about the fitness of this man's character, why would you have not raised this in July? And and I don't think any, I mean, you, you ask people who don't want to see him on the bench, and they say, well, we don't know why. Well, of course you know why. Because she was a political opportunist in the extreme. And, again, whether you're Republican or Democrat, liberal or conservative, the way this was arose and the, the last-minute nature of this, despite the fact that this letter was around for weeks and weeks and weeks, demonstrates what sort of person Diane Feinstein is. And I'll send out a tweet with a link to that Jonah Goldberg column in just a minute. All right. Um, we will, of course, continue to keep you updated on what is going on in, in Middleton. It appears the situation is under control. Um, more and more details will emerge, and we'll continue to keep you posted as well. All right. For for years, we have been being told by by authorities, local police officers, state officials, 
federal officers that if you see something that you believe is suspicious, you should say something. Don't, don't not make that phone call. Let the authorities know and let the authorities investigate if you see something suspicious. All right. Well, I guess my question is in today's day and age, does see something, say something still count? Let me tell you the story. It, it, it was the Capital Times, which is the liberal paper out of Madison, had it. And now it's being picked up by other papers. Here's, here is the deal. There is a Dane County supervisor. Her name is Sheila Stubbs, and she's running for state assembly. Matter of fact, uh, there's no Republican opponent. She's running. She was running in the primary. She happened to be the the woman who emerged from the primary. There's no Republican opponent. So after the November elections, she's going to be she's going to be in the state assembly. She is, by the way, she is African American. All right, she's in Dane County. She's in Madison. Tuesday evening, August seventh, she is out campaigning in a, an area in in Madison. Um, it's a Tuesday evening. And all of a sudden, you have a police officer that responds and starting at, starts asking her questions. Here's, here's what happened. Somebody called in to the police. And this is what they said. Fully occupied silver, four-door sedan, newer model, thinks they are waiting for drugs at the local drug house, would like them moved along. All right, so somebody calls tells the police that this is what we have. It's it's a local drug house, and there's this car full of people that's parked out in front, you know, and they've been parked out there for a while. So the police respond. It turns out the driver of the car was 71-year-old Linda Hoskins. Her 8-year-old granddaughter sat in the back seat. Her daughter, daughter Sheila Stubbs, stood nearby. Ms. Stubbs is the woman who, who's running for state assembly. And she was talking to a resident of the neighborhood in his doorway. The two women and the child are all African-American. Well, as it turns out that what she was doing is she was knocking on doors, introducing herself to voters in the 77th Assembly District. So the car is, in fact, parked there, and, and she's what they call doing door. She's, she's knocking on doors and talking to people. All right, um, squad car pulls up. Uh, she, the assembly candidate, asks the officer what was wrong. She explains what she was doing. The officer says, okay, well, this is, you know, this is what happened here. You know, we, we got this call. We were out there in investigating. And let me just be real clear here. She's not criticizing the police. She says her contact with the police officer was fine. It was respectful. The officer was investigating this. She explained what she was doing and that they went away. It was no harm, no foul. She's now gone public, though, with the story, and she's saying that she was heartbroken, she was humiliated, she had to explain why to her daughter, why the police showed up as she was out in the neighborhood. She says, it's 2018. It shouldn't be strange that a black woman's knocking on your door. I didn't do anything to make myself stand out. I felt like they thought I didn't belong there. They being presumably the the person that made the call, saying, hey, there's this car parked outside a drug house, and we think people are buying drugs. She goes on to say, I belong where I choose to go. You don't have to like me. You don't have to respect me, but I have a right to be places. All right. 
414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. She says she'd been in the neighborhood around 20 minutes. She estimates that she'd knocked on multiple doors and talked to residents. She says when the officer showed up, she found it to be degrading, humiliating, insulting. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, in this particular case, again, this isn't, it's not a situation where anybody is saying the police did anything wrong. The police get this call. Hey, there's this car parked outside of this known drug house. It's been there for a while. You know, we, we think this is a drug buy. Can you move them along? All right. Turns out it's this woman who happens to be African-American who's knocking on doors in this neighborhood. The police investigate. They immediately determine that there's nothing going on here, and they go on their merry way. But the lady is outraged that somebody called the cops on them. All right. On the one hand, you've got see something. Now, I guess it is possible that you could have, and, and we don't know the details of the person who made the complaint and the call, it is possible that this could be completely racial. There's a black woman in the neighborhood. We have to make the calls. On the other hand, if this is an area where there is suspected drug activity and you have somebody who sees a car parked in front of the drug house for 20 minutes, all right, should you not, I guess here's the question, should you not make that call? I mean, what do you do? If And again, if the person is just being overtly, if, if this is nothing but overt racism, oh, there's a black person here, they don't belong, all right, well, that's one thing. But but let's say it was made in good faith. Somebody sees this car parked outside of the known drug house. Do you not make that call? Because, I don't know, if it turns out that you're wrong, somebody else is going to be offended. How do you do this? 414-799-1620. Should, should we not? Is there now an asterisk with see something, say something, which is, well, if if it's people of color or if you turn out to be wrong, are you going to be perceived as being a racist? Do you not make those calls anymore? We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. 126, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 128, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, so the woman is is running for office out in, in Madison. Um, she's in a, a neighborhood which she describes as primarily white, but is is low income. I guess that's the bottom line. She she's out campaigning, and this is a uh, she's going to be in the state assembly. A police car rolls up. They ask her what she's doing. She says she's campaigning. Her mom and her daughter are sitting in a car outside of a house on the block. The officer says, "Well, we got a call that said that you know you were that there was this drug activity going on. This was outside of a drug house, and we were investigating." Now, I mean, I I don't know what the person's motivation was for doing this and making this call, but I mean, we're told to see something, say something. If the guy was overtly racist and trying to say, oh, we don't, black people don't belong in this neighborhood, it's one thing. But if you do see suspicious activity or activity that you believe is suspicious, do you now not make that call? Because, again, assuming you're acting in good faith, because you, you might be wrong? Steve in Milwaukee. Steve, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Hi, Steve. Uh, uh, who cares how she feels? That's tough because the people living in the neighborhood have every right to make that call. And uh, uh, the police responded, and they treated her with respect and found that there was nothing going on. Uh, but the people living there have a right to uh, concerns, any concern. So, um, you know, who cares if she feels slighted because those people have a right to call 
if they feel something's not quite right. Well, well, th- I mean, thanks. I guess see that that's where this gets to be this gets to be tricky because if you see something that you consider to be unusual or whatever, now I don't know if it was a drug house or not, but you get the call that, that you aren't we supposed to call the police? And then, I mean, then, I mean, how do the police respond? In this case, the lady is very upfront. She said, no, the police were respectful. I, I don't have an issue with that. But I felt humiliated that somebody called in the first place. Well, all right, again, if that person was motivated by racist things, I get it. But why do we automatically assume that? It might be, hey, this is a neighborhood where, according to neighbors, they know that there's been drugs sold on that block. They see this car that's parked on that block and parked there for a while, and they want the police to look at it. Is it possible that this could not be racist, but rather just be this concern that people might have with the quality of life in the neighborhood. How do we square see something, say something with, well, all right, this was obviously I'm humiliated because I'm a person of color and now I'm being questioned when I wasn't doing anything wrong. Well, she wasn't doing anything wrong. I I get it. 136, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. If you're just tuning in, here's the story. woman is, she is a Dane County supervisor who won the Democratic primary and is going to be in the state assembly. She's campaigning in a, what is being described as a low-income area of her district, all right? She, she's there on this block. Uh, there, her car is being driven by her mother. Her daughter is in the car. She's out doing doors, you know, which is where the assembly candidates go or candidates in general go and they knock on doors and they talk to people. Apparently, somebody calls the police and says, hey, you know, there's there's this activity at this drug house. There's this car that's parked in front. Can you come? Please come and move these people along. Right. So the police respond to that. Well, it turns out it's not a drug deal. It's a woman who's running for office. She happens to be African-American. She has now gone public with this, saying, well, this was I was humiliated. I was degraded, not by the police. She's not complaining by about the police. She says the police were perfectly appropriate and respectful. But she's saying that that somebody would have called on her in the first place. And I I guess without knowing the motivation of the caller, is it possible that is, oh, there's a black person there and that person doesn't belong? Or is it possible that somebody said, hey, you know, we. We're, we're in a we're in a crime neighborhood. This looks like it is something suspicious to me. And so you make the call that do, do we now to see something, say something now. Should we not do that anymore? Let's talk to Mark and Krivitz. Hi, Mark. You're on WTMJ. Hi. What do you think? Well, I think uh, this is a bit ridiculous to even make this statement by by your own statement. You said that. The woman called up or whoever called up because they said they saw a carpool. Well, if they saw a carpool, what did they see? They actually saw an 80-year-old black woman, a middle-aged black woman, and an infant child female. That's what they called on, okay? Racism is blatantly alive and active in this country now, again, brought up mostly by this hooker-using president we have. Okay, he's the one that denied. Uh, okay, okay. So, uh, so now, this is Donald. It's Donald Trump's fault that, that somebody made this phone call. Well, what I'm saying is that racism is growing again in this country because of the type of person that Donald Trump is. Okay, well, let, 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 let's kind of focus on this. I, okay, let, 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 no, no, Mark, because not if you're going to be crazy. I don't want to talk about Donald Trump. I want to talk about the deal in Madison. Him saying white Nazis are okay people, him saying that Obama was not an American, he wasn't born in this country, anything that they can to try and, and uh, 
belittle the blacks in this. Oh, okay. Uh, so, Mark, let, let's let's kind of let's kind of come back to planet Earth here. All right, Mike, little Mark, let's 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 try to work this through. Let us try to reason together. All right. So you have somebody who lives in a neighborhood who sees activity. And let's assume, for the sake of argument, that this is in fact you know an area where there's a, where there's there's a block where drug trafficking goes on. Okay, and you see somebody. Um, a car that's parked there for 20 minutes, do you not make that phone call? Do, do you not? Because it's, what, it's a black person and they can't be engaged in drug dealing? If you're there watching that car uh-huh. and all you see is an 80-year-old black woman and a middle-aged black woman and a child. Well, I know they probably don't look inside the car. They just see the car that's parked there and they see the woman outside. That's, they probably don't know the occupants of the car. Well, according to what you said earlier, they said that the car was full. and they The knew. car was full, yeah. Uh-huh. Well, how did they know that unless they saw what was in the car? Well, they see, the okay, fully occupied, silver. So you assume that this is before, I guess I'm trying to figure out when you make this call, if you make the call at all. Do you not make the call if it's black people? You make the call if it looks like it's a crime being, uh, being, oh performed at that time but okay there, nobody said anything about a crime no nope no all, right, all they're saying is they saw a car full of people in a neighborhood and they're scared think, okay fine but thinks they know, are waiting for drugs at a local drug house would like them moved along yeah okay well, thank, I, I guess i, I mark I, I don't I, I look is it possible that there is a racist element to this yeah i i mean i i guess so i mean i i, I understand that but I'm trying to figure out where the, what the rules of engagement are now. Now, obviously, the person that made this call was wrong. Okay, the person that made this call was was wrong. The lady was doing absolutely nothing wrong. She was campaigning, etc. So, but I I'm trying to figure out when you when it is that you make th- this call. I mean, do you? Because we've always been telling people that if you see something that looks suspicious to you, you make the call. But now, if you make the call and it turns out that you're wrong, well, then then you're you're racist. All right. Well, okay. Does this mean then that we don't want people essentially making the, the calls? Um, Rosa in Milwaukee. Rosa, you're on WTMJ. Rosa. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Rosa. Um, hello. Hi, you're on the air. Hello. Oh, hi, Jeff. Um, yeah, I live in the south side of Milwaukee, and I lived there for like thirty something years. I grew up there. My grandkids grew up there. I raised my kids there. And if I see a car, suspicious car that I've never seen around the neighborhood, yeah, I'm going to call. And I've called the police on cars that just think sitting there half hour, 45 minutes, even an hour with the loud music. Because the thing is, if we don't vigilant of our own neighborhood, who is? And I don't need a neighborhood crime watch sign to say I can take care of that. You know, it's just, it's just important for us to do it with a sign or not a sign in our window saying that. Well, I, I guess, I, I mean, I'm just, I'm getting, I'm trying to figure out what, what the ground rules are here because my guess is a lot of times somebody is going to see something that's suspicious or they think is suspicious. It's going to turn out to be nothing. And, and so they're going to make that call. But now do we not want people making the call because we don't want, I, I don't know, we, we don't you want to pers- offend anybody. Well, that's right. what it is. Right. Nobody it, wants to be offended. But you know what? We live in a neighborhood. We're responsible for our neighborhood. And if we don't take care of it and watch it, like I said, nobody is. So if we don't stand up to our own neighborhood and see a suspicious car that you know doesn't belong there or maybe just came in to visit, 
that's fine. But if I see it there standing half hour, 45 minutes, yeah, I'm going to think right. something's going on. Well, thanks for calling. And I guess, and it also, I mean, see, it depends on a lot of different factors. Now, I have an interesting text here. Jeff, what does see something, say something mean to you? People who are sitting in their cars are, are normal. Well, if she was climbing through a window, that's a reason to call the police. I'm a black male sitting in my car in Whitefish Bay listening to you for 20 minutes. Thank you for listening to me for 20 minutes. Um, does that mean that, that they should call the police on me? Well, no, not necessarily, but let me, let me say this. If you're, let us say for the sake of argument that this is, it is an area where they have had complaints about, you know, drugs being sold out of a particular house. And you have or crime on that block and you have a car that's sitting there for, you know, 20 or 30 minutes. All right. Is that worth a phone call? And, and again, I, I'm not obviously the person who made this call was wrong. I, I get it. You know, they, they were wrong. But do we now need to say, well, forget, see something, say something unless you see a crime in progress and see, see something, say something was never if you see a crime in progress. You know, if you see a crime in progress, of course, you call the police. But we have been telling people since 9-11, if you see something that you perceive to be suspicious, call the police, let them come out, let them investigate, let them determine whether it's something. And my guess is, like I say, the vast majority of those calls that get made, they are benign. No, it's not somebody that's trying to break into the house. No, it's not somebody that's trying to buy drugs. It's, it's a lady that's running for office. All right, but now do we need to factor in an additional factor that says, well, you also have to consider the race of the person that is involved here and how this might be perceived? I, I, I don't know what the ground rules are. Clearly, the caller here was wrong. They, they were wrong. They got it wrong. I'm sorry the lady was uh, offended by this. I'm sorry she felt humiliated and degraded, although it, it wasn't by the police. The police were just doing their job, and they were doing the investigation. All right, do we now just not make any of those phone calls unless we know for sure that there is a crime committed being committed? Unless we can say positively, I saw this drug deal go down, do you not make the phone call? I, I don't know, but that's not what the rules have been since 9-11. 145, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 149, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Actually, that conversation led to a number of fascinating comments on both Twitter and on our on our text line. Tony in Milwaukee says, regardless of race, the lady should be glad that the police of that area actually have the time to act on a call in a timely manner. I've made calls on drug problems, and I don't get a fast response. It's not putting down the Milwaukee Police Department. I know they're busy, but I call on drug problems, and, and nobody nobody answers. Um, here's a text. I'm I'm white. I used to deliver newspapers in the middle of the night. Police used to stop me at least once a month to see what I w- was doing. Um, yeah, let's see. Here's another text. Better to be unsure and safe than a victim or worse dead. People are so sensitive and just want attention and money. Most people need to report these types of incidences. I, well, obviously, if it's, again, somebody that's operating out of, you know, blatant racism, there, there's no excuse for that. But at the same time, I, I still think as a general rule, if you see something that is out of the usual, and you have concerns about it, I think I think law enforcement wants you to make that call and then let them decide. I mean, here's it. Uh, Jeff, I called the Milwaukee Police Department the other day after an Amber Alert because there was a suspicious van in front of my house. Turns out it was nothing. 
but I think it's better to call and not have it be anything than not to call and find out that there's a kidnapper's car in my neighborhood. That's that's from Tim in Wauwatosa. And I think, I, I guess that's that's the general sentiment. And then, of course, I mean, we, you know, we had this story play out in Wauwatosa a couple weeks ago. Remember, there was the guy who flags down the police, the two Wauwatosa coppers, and says, I, I just watched a, an abduction go on. It was two women, and it was a guy. The guy's in the back seat, and, and I think there was a kid. I think there was a crime of some sort. So the police go out. They pull over the car. They find the car. They pull it over. Um, they have the guy in the back seat, who happens to be a young black man, get out of the car, and then they separate him, they put him in handcuffs, they investigate. Turns out it's the grandson of you know, one of the women that, that's in the car, okay? So, but they, they're, they're able to verify this, and six minute, in the space of six minutes, they have now apologized for the information. They said, look, we're sorry we did this. They've sent everybody on their way, and now, of course, the, the young man, I think, has hired a, a lawyer or something like that, but it, it, the, the police handled it the right way. You know, should you be making phone calls if your only evidence is, gee, there's somebody in my neighborhood who is a different color than the other people in the neighborhood? Well, of course not. But, you know, if there's other factors as well, all right, there's this car that's parked in front of this, uh, where this block where we've had lots of problems with drugs, and there's this car that's parked in there and it's been parked in front of there for 20 minutes, and it looks to me like this is the same thing that we've had happen all these other times with drug deals. All right, do you really want to say don't make that call because in case we're wrong, somebody's going to be accusing us of, of racism? I mean, again, if their only suspicion is, gee, it's somebody who doesn't look like me, of course you don't make the call. But otherwise, I think police are still going to tell you that they want people to err on the side of caution. And I think neighbors are probably going to say, we want you to err on the side of caution as well. I mean, if in, even if in, in my neighborhood, if somebody sees something that looks like it is out of place, well, all right, just let the police know and let them check it out. And then you, hopefully the police will behave with respect. And if they determine it's nothing, everybody goes on their way. Isn't that the way it's supposed to work? 153, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 155, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. What's a catch? What's a tackle? How about the roughing the passer rule? Gene Miller asks Packers head coach Mike McCarthy those questions and much, much more. Tune in 621 tomorrow on Wisconsin's Morning News. Hey, coming up uh, about 10 minutes from now, we're going to ask the question, does President Trump survive the, the next the next two years, the long knives are definitely out. After that, it's the latest controversy. Sesame Street, are Bert and Ernie gay? I swear to God, this is an issue nowadays. And a somewhat provocative question about going to baseball games at Miller Park. We're going to talk about all that in the next hour of the program. All right, interesting story. The I, We talked a little bit about this yesterday. Um, Randy Bryce is... Uh, the, the guy who's running as a Democrat for Paul Ryan's seat, and he's got a, he's got a challenging history. Let, let's say that. You've heard the ads talking about his various arrests and things like that. Um, he's in a very, very heated campaign. Bryce emerged as kind of the darling of the left when he was going to challenge Paul Ryan. He got all this sort of Hollywood money that's out there. Well, now, of course, Paul Ryan isn't running again, so, you know, he, he's involved. In, he's not running against Ryan, but he's he's running against a guy named Brian Style, who's the real deal. I mean, I think I, I've I know Brian Style. I, I think he'd be great in Congress. But anyhow, the the latest development in this is the Republicans came out with an ad yesterday featuring Randy Bryce's brother, 
who, who's a cop. And it's a very powerful ad. We played a portion of it. It's a very powerful ad talking about how uh, the brother, you know, who is a police officer, wouldn't support his brother Randy, and it, and, it, and it makes reference to some of the things that, you know, Randy Bryce has said, including likening police to being terrorists and things like that. I, I think it's a, a powerful ad, and this, of course, isn't the first time this is all played out. Remember, in the Republican primary, you had Kevin Nicholson, who was running as a Republican. His parents were big-time Democrats. They were giving money to Tammy Baldwin, and that was this big story that you've got these divisions in the family. Well, this is the flip side of it, all right? So the story today is Randy Bryce's mother is calling for, well, here's what she says. Um, she's call, she says she's deeply hurt to see a Republican group launching an attack ad featuring Bryce's brother. She called for the ad, which is part of this buy, to be taken off the air. I'm used to my sons getting into disagreements with each other. Every mom is. And I understand that my boys see the world differently when it comes to politics. But now there's a group of people from Washington who consider it a good idea to pit my boys against each other for their own political gain. But they don't consider a mother's pain at seeing her children used as tools in a political fight. All right. But here would be my comment to Mrs. Bryce. If you've got a beef with somebody about the ad, it's not the Republicans running the ad. It's your kid who decided to make the ad. I mean, if if you are upset with this, you should be talking to your police officer's son, who is an adult, who made the decision to appear in the ad saying that he's voting for Randy Bryce's opponent. Why would you be upset at the Republicans? You should be calling up your son and saying, I can't believe that you're doing this to hurt my, my, my dear Randy. All right. That, if you want to be mad at somebody, be mad at your son for participating in the ad or be mad at your son, your other son for, you know, running for office or whatever. But I, gee, I'm going to blame the Republicans for running this ad. No, if you're upset, the person to be upset about is a lot closer to home, and you probably see them, you know, for Thanksgiving and Christmas and days like that, right? All right, when we come back, does President Trump survive the next two years? Stick around. It's 159. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. You know, this story about these postal employees stealing money from the mail. You, you, on the one hand, you have to have, you have got to put it in perspective. There are thousands and thousands of people who work for the post office, many of whom listen to this program. There are a lot of mail carriers that listen to the show. By the way, if you can't hear the whole show because, I don't know, you've got things to do during the day, no problem. The word is podcast, and I know lots of people listen to the podcast. You just go to WTMJ.com, click on our mobile apps, and you can subscribe to the podcast. And every day after the show, my producer grew. One of his first tasks is getting the podcast ready. So he works hard on it, so just check it out. You can listen to it. I know a lot of people do. But but in any event, I know we have a lot of postal carriers and people who work for the post office who listen. And uh, you, you do want to have the perspective. There are thousands and thousands and thousands of people who work for the post office. Almost everybody is honest, you don't have to worry. I am not, as a general rule, concerned about the integrity of the mail. But still, these latest stories are, are troubling. It, there was a report about a week ago about how a, a postal employee, um, she pled guilty to stealing mail, admitting that she had gone through more than 6,600 pieces of mail, stealing money and gift cards over the past two years. So if, if 
if you if you didn't get a gift card that you thought was coming and you were on this this person's route, well, it's because she was pocketing the gift card. And that is one of the really scary things because I, I will tell you, I know this from another life. Um, if you work, people who work in the post office, they they know when. For example, they know when certain types of things are coming out. They know when the Betty Crocker coupons are getting sent out, for example. So if you have somebody who is a crook, there there is certainly the opportunity to do it. But but thankfully, I gotta say, ninety nine point nine percent of the people who work for the post office are honest. But still, there it one of the things that is a cause for concern is it, it appears now that there's not just one person who's been out there stealing stuff, um, postal employees stealing stuff that were intended for people living in Wauwatosa and on the west side. Apparently, four U.S. Postal Service employees, two mail carriers and a sorter, all working at the Wauwatosa Post Office and another worker in the central sorting facility, have all been stealing mail. Now, Gru, who's producing the show today and always, when you hear that there's four people um, in a in a relatively confined area that are stealing mail, you, would you agree with me that you would assume that they're working together? That this is you're right? Yeah, you agree. Yeah, that's the assumption. Well, as it turns out, it's no. That's not it. And and actually, I think it might be worse than if they were working together. You you have four people who were apparently independently all stealing mail, which does make you wonder. Whether this is the tip of, of an iceberg. Now, I remember in another life, I used to work with postal inspectors, and I know they're very vigilant, but apparently there, there's a bunch of this stuff going on. And if you've got four people, three people in Wauwatosa and one in the, the central you know, area, and, and they're doing this, it does make you wonder if there, there's other people along. And the, I will tell you this, the Postal Service needs to get a handle on it. I know they take it very, very seriously because it does – it does hurt confidence. I mean, the one thing I think that you've always counted on with the Postal Service is that, well, okay, maybe a letter is going to get lost here and there, and that doesn't happen very often either. But if you want to send, I don't know, if you want to send a birthday card to your grandson and you want to put a $10 bill in there, you're going to assume that that $10 bill is going to get there. Or you want to buy a gift card to send it to a friend, you're going to assume it's it's going to get there. And if you've got postal workers who are stealing, it does, and it's a very small percentage, but it affects the integrity of, again, the postal office. And I think this is one where you really need to have zero tolerance. All right, let us switch gears. I want to talk about President Trump. I've been saying for the long, longest time that if I were the Attorney General, if I were Jeff Sessions, I would have quit a long time ago. I'm now two-thirds of the way through the Bob Woodward book, Fear, and the, I, I think one thing that comes through clearly, and I don't know that's plowing new ground, is however you feel about President Trump, he is brutal to work for. I mean, he, he just, he, he operates kind of on a Wreck-It Ralph, Wreck-It Ralph chaos theory. He screams at people. He belittles people. People fall in and out of favor kind of quickly and randomly. And, and Jeff Sessions, the Attorney General, I knew Jeff Sessions when he was the U.S. attorney in Alabama, and he went on to become a U.S. senator from Alabama, and now he's the attorney general. But he's he's been President Trump's whipping guy ever since the, the beginning of the administration because since he was involved in the Trump campaign, he decided that ethically he had to recuse himself, which means step aside 
when you had these allegations of Russian tampering in the campaign because he was part of the campaign. So he decided he had to recuse himself, which ethically, I believe, was the right thing to do ethically under the rules. Well, President Trump has never forgiven him for that because when he stepped aside, that meant that you had the special counsel that was appointed. And of course, President Trump you know, thinks the whole thing is a witch hunt. And I, there might be some merit to some of that. But regardless, he blames Sessions for all that. So he's been publicly belittling Jeff Sessions at every turn. And I, for one, have, have just never understood why Jeff Sessions doesn't walk in and say, that's it, I quit. Well, you had some more of this that happened the other day. Yesterday, President Trump sits down with the Hill, which is this Capitol Hill newspaper, and says, I don't have an attorney general. <laughs> you know, I, I don't have an attorney general. Um, <laughs> what? And then apparently uh, this morning, he started to be asked about that, and he said, well, we, we do have an attorney general, but I'm disappointed in the attorney general for many reasons. And then he goes on and says, I'm not happy about stuff going on at the border. I'm not happy with numerous things, not just this. And then, of course, he obsesses over the, the whole recusal thing. Bottom line of all this is, if I were a guy like Jeff Sessions, who doesn't need the gig, I, it's real easy. You, you mean, you write that letter of recommendation. You walk in and say, Mr. President, I'm sorry I don't have your confidence. Thank you for the opportunity to serve this country. But boom, I'm I'm going back to Alabama or wherever, or I'm going to go be a Washington lobbyist. Thank you very much. See you later. Why Sessions? Now, people say that Sessions is trying to put country above his personal reputation, recognizing that there's little chance that another attorney general is going to get confirmed in the immediate future and afraid what President Trump might end up doing. Still, at some point in time, I guess, and my my breaking point would have hit a long time ago. I think I would have gone in and said, Mr. President, I respect you. I serve at the pleasure of the president. And obviously, if you're going to publicly berate me, time to move on. All right, 414-799-1620. I don't want to talk about whether it's time for Jeff Sessions to move on. The answer to that is yes. I want to talk about President Trump. Uh, I said this yesterday. I was looking at him on television. And, and the job ages people. The job clearly has aged President Trump. The long knives are out. I think the midterms are not going to be kind to Republicans. That is my general sense. I don't know that they're going to be as bad as some people think, but they're probably not going to be kind. You get the idea that President Trump is just getting progressively and progressively angrier at the people around him. He's frustrated that he can't, he hasn't, doesn't have control of the narrative and you're looking potentially if the Democrats retake one or both um, branches of the, the legislative branches, you're, you're looking at, well, potentially, you know, impeachment type of proceedings. I just want to spend one segment on this, but I, I want to get you on record. Do you think President Trump survives the next two years? Do you think if we are sitting here 218 on September whatever, 2018, is Donald Trump still going to be the president of the United States? 414-799-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And I'm not asking you to predict whether that would be a good thing or a bad thing. My question is, do you think he's going to be president two years from now? We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. 414-799-1620 is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you want to join us, stick around. 
221. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, look into your crystal ball two years from now. If we were sitting here having this discussion, and maybe we will be, September whatever, 2020, is Donald Trump still the president? Jason on the northwest side. Jason, you're first. What do you think? There is no chance that he'll be president. I didn't think he was going to make it the midterm. And I personally like some of the things he's doing. But he went after the intelligence agencies. He went after the wrong people, the people that have all the information on you. He is going to be impeached as soon as the Democrats take over the Senate. And if the Republicans keep putting up these weak candidates like Volkmar, they're, they're never going to win. He, oh. he, he'll definitely be out. Gone. Okay. Thanks for the call. Jason says gone. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Sean in Milwaukee. Sean, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yeah, hey, uh, I laid a bet $100 with Patty Powers in Ireland. He wouldn't make it two years past inauguration. I voted for the guy. I also like the tax cut, some other things. But, yeah, sorry. You pick a fight, the first thing you do with the FBI and CIA, okay. it's going to happen. Now, do you think, all right, do you think, do you think he's going to step down? Do you think he's going to be impeached? How do you think this is all going to come out? Probably one of three ways. He'll get bored. And go back to his family. Right. He'll have the women trouble. We'll blow up on him, or he'll get impeached. Okay. Well, then, those would be the, <laughs> all right. Thank you. No, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. Those would be the three routes, I guess. I see at one point in time, and what's really kind of prompted me this is, like I said, I I was looking at him the other yesterday, and I was I was kind of struck by how this job ages almost every president. Uh, Ronald Reagan might have been the exception, but most of them, and, and and it's clearly aged Donald Trump. Now, one of the things I've, on the one hand, I keep thinking if I were Donald Trump and I had all the money in the world and I was seventy whatever years old he is, would would I want would I want this aggravation? Would I want these constant battles on a daily basis? And, and at some point in time, even if you're a fighter, does it wear on you? So I, I, I've always kind of thought that one of the possibilities might be that you just kind of declare victory and go home. I've turned this country around. I've done this. I've done that. I've done the other thing. And now I'm just I, I'm ready. I leave it in a better place and move on. I'm not sure his ego lets him do that, though. I, one of the things I guess I've been looking at, and I think I, I'm just I think the more pushback he gets the more it makes him dig in. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to, uh, let's see, Isabel in Glendale. Isabel, good afternoon. You're on WTMJ. Oh, good afternoon, Jeff. Um, uh, yeah, I, I have to say I, I disagree. I think he will be president in 2020. I think we're looking at one of the last presidents we have. And I say that honestly because he is totally about himself. He's always been about himself. If you look back at his life in, in New York, uh, he's going to hold on to this position. He likes all of the amenities that go along with it, all the perks, all the pumps. He likes it. And I think that he, uh, with, with his own comment that he made about uh, the prime minister of China, that having uh, power for life, he liked that idea. Mm-hmm. And I think he's going to play on that idea. So he's, uh, not, he's not going anywhere on his own, is what you're saying. I don't think so. I didn't vote for him. I'm a never-Trumper, but I... I Based on what I've read about him in his past and how he, his, uh, his his actions are, he's going to stay put as long as he can. Do you think he runs? Do you think he runs again? I absolutely do. I he... have, and, I, and unfortunately, the Democratic Party has nobody to stand up against him except Joe Biden, maybe. But I, I'm not going with that. I'm sorry to say the Democrats just don't have their 
their shoes in order yet. They just don't. Well, so, I mean, it, it is interesting. Th- thanks. I mean, some, if somebody was asking me about that, do you think that Trump has a possibility to win in a couple of years? And my answer is, yeah, he, he does. It, it, a, a lot, a lot depends on stuff. And people would say, well, how, how can you possibly say that? And I said, well, first of all, it, it depends. It depends who runs against you. I mean, in my opinion, if the Democrats, for example, decide that they're going to go the quasi-socialist route and you're going to nominate, uh, 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 you know, the uh, an Elizabeth Warren or a Cory Booker or someone like that, I- I'm I'm thinking that even with all this anti-Trump stuff that's out there, you know, you nominate again a quasi-socialist. I'm not sure the country is ready for that. So, uh, you know, you nominate a, a more middle of the road type of person, something like you know Bill Clinton reincarnated. You know, 20, 30 years later, maybe it's a different dynamic. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Wendy and Vernon. Wendy, you're in WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi. Good afternoon, Jeff. Yes, Does he I'm make calling. it? I am um, a never Trumper, and I don't think he's going to be around. I think he's going to get impeached. And I think his financial records are going to be what brings him down. I think Robert Mueller is plodding along very quietly. And I think that his his doings back in the mid-2000s when no banks would touch him and he turned to the Russians, I think he's got a lot that he's hiding and it's going to come out and it's going to be his downfall. Do you think so? You think it come you, you think it's going to come out? And it's going to be fuel for some sort of impeachment stuff over the next year or two. I think so. I think he's done some pretty sneaky things. That's why he really wants to protect the Russians. And I think that there's, I don't know about collusion. I don't think, I think only his ego, he would have, he wanted to win against Hillary. And I don't know if there's proof of that, but I think his, there's a lot more sinister stuff going on with Russia, and I think it's going to come out. Interesting. Thanks for call, Wendy. I, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I've always thought that Russian stuff is kind of a, a nothing burger. Um, but but at the same time, I you, you do have this incredibly stubborn guy that's there. You know, can, can you see him stepping down of his own accord? Carol in Oak Creek. Hi, Carol. You're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Uh, first of all, I do not think he will step down because I agree with you. He has a big ego. And I think he is a very smart person, and he has so many good things going that I don't think the Democrats should be getting a paycheck because they have done nothing. Mm-hmm. And I think if they do impeach him, I don't know, you know if they can find something, but I think you're going to have a lot of protesting from the Republicans. Maybe a backlash. Yeah, thanks, Nicole. I, I will tell you this. My prediction is, mark this down, Melissa Barkley, who's sitting in the studio, I think What's today's date? Is the 19th? This is September 19th? September 19th. Okay, yeah. September 19th, 2018. Mark the tape group. September 19th, 2020, I think Donald Trump is still the president of the United States. I, I, I actually, unless there's something huge out there that leads to, you know, a basis for sort of a bipartisan impeachment thing, I, I, I don't see impeachment. Matter of fact, I, I, see, I think Democrats might talk about impeachment, but the truth is, they're, they're going to want to have Donald Trump around for two years so they can run against him because the campaign to be the next president starts the day after the midterms and if it hasn't started already. So I think they're going to want to have Donald Trump to kick around. I don't see him voluntarily stepping down. I don't just don't see that as the ego. I think for good or for bad. I think he is still the president two years from now, and I think he's trying to, I think he'll try to run again, and whether he succeeds or not, well, stick, stick around. It's going to be a fascinating two years. That's what I told some people yesterday. I said, I, I am, I am chomping at the bit 
to talk about this over the course of the next two years. 229, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 236, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Every once in a while, there's topics that come up that I I would have never thought when I started doing the show 20-plus years ago that I would do. But we're going to talk about the sexual orientation of Bert and Ernie on Sesame Street. And those, yes, those are, those are puppets. Now, all right, Sesame Street, beloved show, stars of Sesame Street are, are Bert and, and Ernie. This is in the news because what happened is one of the guys who used to write for Sesame Street, and I, I just, I, I hate to break this to you, but they are puppets and it was a scripted sort of thing. And so the, the Bert and Ernie aren't real, real people. They're, they're puppets. One of the writers gives an interview to uh, an online LGBT magazine, and he says, here's the big secret. Ernie and Bert are gay. He says, I always felt that without a huge agenda, when I was writing Bert and Ernie, they were gay. I don't have any other way to contextualize them. I don't think I'd know how else to write them, but as a loving couple. All right. So he says, okay, they, they were gay. So Sesame Street decides that, that they want to respond to this. And, you know, here's, here's what they say. Sesame Street says, Bert and Ernie were created to teach preschoolers that people can be good friends with those who are very different from themselves, even though they are identified as male characters and possess many human traits and characteristics, as most Sesame Street Muppets do. They remain puppets and do not have, as such, a sexual orientation. So they're, they're puppets. They're, they're not anything. They're, they're puppets. All right? Well, you would have thought that that would have been the end of this. But this has now created a huge controversy in, in social media with a, a number of, of people who are mad at Sesame Street for saying that Bert and Ernie aren't gay. I swear I'm not making this up. Here's, for example, here here's one of the, the texts. I'm really disappointed in Sesame Workshop. A gay man talked about his own experiences with writing the show and how he and his partner identified with Bert and Ernie, and they have to stomp on all of that. Another one. Would it be so bad if they were supposed to be gay, even if they are puppets, Muppets? Today, many children realize very young when they are LGTBQA, and if characters on Sesame Street helped them, I don't think it would be a bad thing. Then, of course, you had comments that got political. So Republicans are worried gay puppets, Bert and Ernie, are bad role models, but totally cool with what's going on in the White House, etc., etc. All right. 414-799-1620. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Sesame Street has now denied that Bert and Ernie have any sort of sexual orientation at all because, did I mention, they're puppets. And you have at least some activists who are hacked off at Sesame Street for this. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Look, I I think Sesame Street is a wonderful show. I don't, for the life of me, understand why you need to introduce sexuality into this one way or sexual orientation into this one way or the other. And I don't fault, I don't fault, you know, Sesame Street Workshop at all for coming out and saying they're puppets. 
There, there's no agenda here. There's no sexual orientation. I, I think what they're hoping is that, you know, kids who watch it, regardless of what the kids sexual orientation is or ultimately will become or whatever, I hope they look at it and they, they kind of learn from this. Do you gain anything by attaching a sexual orientation a sexual orientation to a bunch of Muppets? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. I don't know what this writer was thinking, but at the same time, I, I'm not going to fault Sesame Street at all for simply saying, look, this this has nothing to do with anything that's going on here. All right, they're, they're puppets. These are characters that are created that are trying to make kids feel more accepting of people who are different than themselves. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Do we really need to know or a discussion? Do we really need to think that Bert and Ernie are, are gay or not gay? Or whatever. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Tyler in Oconomowoc. Tyler, you're on WTMJ. How's it going, Jeff? Very well, thank you. What do you think? Uh, personally, being an adult, I could care less if there is a sexual preference for two puppets. <laughs> uh, I think it's more importantly that if somebody wants to tell their kid that Bert and Ermy are homosexual, as they can be, they should be taught to view them as uh, any other person that they should be viewed as. That there is, you know, that there is no difference between Bert and Ernie or Big Bird or even the Grouch. Well, right. Well, I mean, think, I mean, I, I guess why do we need to introduce sexual orientation into this issue in in the first place? I mean, the, the purpose of these characters is to uh, again teach under they're, they're entertaining. It's to teach understanding and things like that. I mean, the, the last thing, and I don't fault Sesame Street. The, 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 you read some of the stuff in the social media. It's, oh, Sesame Street's caving into right-wingers and stuff. It has nothing to do with that at all. It's more like the, this concept that, that's there. Um, our, our text line is just exploding. Jeff, what is this world coming to, for goodness sakes? There are puppets. The children watch them. Uh, many of them aren't old enough to care one way or another what they are. Just enjoy them. Let the children be children by watching them. Um all right, um, 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Uh, let's see another text here. First, it's a show for kids, so adults need to get lost and find a life. Next, why do all things need to be sexualized? So Bert and Ernie um, from It's a Wonderful Life, were they gay too because they were two males that were friends? And 414-799-1620. Lori in Milwaukee. Lori, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Oh, hi, Jeff. Well, um, I just think the the beauty of Sesame Street is you had all kinds of different people. And when I was a kid, you didn't see, you know, different colors and different races, different ethnicities and uh, different people on your street. And mm-hmm. that was the beautiful part of it. You know, you had right. Gordon, Gordon. You know, who ran the grocery store, you know. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, he wasn't the black guy. He just was the guy that ran the grocery store. You know, you had Luis and Maria, you know, and <laughs> right. they were just people on the street. And Bert and Ernie were just people that lived right. on the street. Right. They, exactly. They they were they were friends. Thanks for I guess I never I never even thought about it one way or or the other. And I guess I mean, and Sesame Street doesn't want people. Sesame Street. And I get it. They 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 don't want to. 
They don't want to. They don't well, want to get I, off onto sexual orientation. They just want people to view them as as friends, and, and then take and the lesson they, from that. I saw a program on, I think on PBS, you know, where they were showing the different variations of Sesame Street in different countries, and they tailor it to, you know, those communities, and that's, you know. Right. No, I, exactly. And thanks for calling. I mean, yeah, it's just, it's one of these things like, okay, this isn't, this isn't about sexual orientation. It's about, they're Muppets. Here, here, Kelly and Greenfield is a great text. Jeff, regarding the Sesame Street situation, I text in a lot on your show. I usually have really good opinions to share. However, this is absurd. They aren't real. <laughs> That's it. They're, that, they're, they're puppets. All right, and, and so, and again, it, who, who cares what their sexual orientation would, would be? But they're puppets. It's designed for kids. These are characters that aren't created to make a point at all. And again, Sesame Street, I, I, they, they don't want to get drawn into the debate because that's not what their intention is. And I don't fault them. And it's not a question of right-wingers out there trying to stomp on this. It's just they're puppets, for goodness sakes. Okay, when we come back, I've been going to a lot of baseball games lately. I'm going to the game tonight with my wife and my stepdaughters and their families and stuff. I understand last two games I've gone to, they've lost. And so I'm a little bit of a flying Dutchman. I apologize for that. But there's something that happens at Miller Park that's different than what happens in Lambeau Field. And I want to talk about it with you. Stick around. 245, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 249, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, I go to a lot of games at Miller Park. I, I love going to live baseball games. Um, but, I mean, let's face it, it it's kind of a, it, and Gru, I know it's producing the show, I know you go to a bunch of games as well. It's fun to see a live baseball game, but it's also a little bit of a pain in the butt. you got to drive there, uh, you got to get to your seats, you know, the beers are $8 or $9 or $12, depending on what kind of beer that you want. So, I mean, it's a, it's sort of a pricey sort of thing, but but it's fun. I, I enjoy it a lot. Like I said, I go to... I probably go to 25 to 30 games a year by the time you, you add it all up, and it, it's fun to be there. I was also at Lambeau Field on Sunday for, for that tie. One of the things that they do at Lambeau Field, if you're fortunate enough to go to a Packer game, is they show every play is replayed, every single play. Once it ends, they put it up on the giant board. So you watch it live, and then you can watch it on, on the screen. They do that for every single play that they run at Lambeau Field. If you go to Miller Park, you see very few replays. Now, certainly you don't see replays of every pitch. Um, you don't see the view that they show you on TV about where the strike zone is. And they don't show you, even after the ball is in play, a lot of times they don't show you what happened. If there is a controversial call, they almost never show it unless they go to replay. And, and I will tell you, it it is one of these kind of annoying things because I, I appreciate all the stuff about the ballpark experience. But if you're watching a game, if you're watching at home, you get to see the replays. If you're at the stadium spending the money to buy the tickets, yeah, you, you might you might see a replay here and there of the home run or, or whatever, but you're not going to see replays of the typical – Else, you're not going to see replays of any close call at all unless it's it's the replay challenge, and you're going to end up missing a lot. 
414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I was thinking about this because I, I admit it's been a bit of a frustration. Is it going to make me stop going to live brewer games? Well, of course not. I love going to brewer games. But but it is, if you are competing with that, that home experience, not showing replays in, in general, I, I think people are used to seeing that. And for this notion that you can't do it, well, if you can do it at Lambeau Field, and you know when when football, there's a lot. I mean, there, there's a lot less time as a general rule between plays at Lambeau Field and football than there would be for the stuff that goes on in baseball. If you're not going to show it, I I think, I think you take away from the fan experience. Now, I understand in Milwaukee, you've got a lot of people who've come out this year. Attendance is an issue. They're going to hit two point eight million, and that's great. Like I say, it's not going to stop me from going. But I, I think this is an area where baseball in general, and Miller Park in particular, needs to improve on, and that is show us what happened on a regular basis because people are used to it and people come to expect it. And if the idea is we don't want to, you know, we don't want to embarrass, we don't want to embarrass people who are the umpires or whatever, now well, tough. They get paid a lot of money. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Dick in Milwaukee. Dick, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi there. Season ticket holder. Agree with you a hundred percent. We have great seats. When the ball goes down the right field line, you don't know what happens down there. Somebody's out there making a catch, right. not making a catch, and why they don't replay every corner shot is way beyond me. I have written our ticket rep. Yeah. <laughs> they, yeah. they just don't do it. It's Right, and it's frustrating. You want, or, or you know, you you want to you want to see what you know what exactly happened out there. I, I'll give you an example. I was there last night, and um, Travis Shaw got hit by a pitch. Okay, and it was down, and right. it hit him in the knee or something. They didn't show any replays of that. And now I'm sure if you were watching at home, you saw that ten or twelve times. I couldn't tell from our seats where exactly it hit him, how badly it hit him, you know. And he's down, and he's you know, and he's he's down there for a couple minutes, and they don't show it. And I'm like, why aren't you showing this? You know, everybody, if I, I spent a bunch of money to sit in these seats, I don't get as good a view as what's happening at home. It was driving me crazy. Yeah, well, they have a multi-million-dollar scoreboard, and it's way underused. Yeah, no, I, thanks for calling. And, and see, people are used to it. You know, you make a very good point. I, I think the sight line, I don't think there's a bad seat at Miller Park, but there are certain lines, even the good seats, where, like, you can't see all the way to, from where I sit, and I've got some pretty good seats, you can't see down into the right field corner. And, and unless you see the replay, you can't tell what happened to the ball. And so why not show these different things? And, again, the Brewers might say, well, because there's a time issue. If you can do it at Lambeau Field and show every play, you certainly can do it in baseball where there's a lot more time between the different activities. I'm just saying it would make the experience a lot better. It's 2.54. When we come back, we're going to find out what Scott and Melissa have on their minds. Please stick around.